G'day, welcome back to the Path of Truth podcast. Uh, my name is Morkai, and this episode is going to be um, spiritual and mental health um, foundational concepts and potential practices um, that I feel will help lay down a good, solid and thorough foundation for working on your mental health and um, your journey through life and spirituality. Um, in the last episode, I was labeling this process I've gone through as my awakening and enlightenment experience and definitely was my awakening, my first big opening like that, but I'm not, I don't want to spread bloody fake news or anything like that. I'm not, by no means am I enlightened. That was not, um the from that experience I'm not now some enlightened master <laughs> um I just realized the truth for myself but um I've still got a long way to go in um in my personal journey um but yeah I just don't want to um I had those two enlightenment and awakening I had those two terms mixed up and tangled together so um yeah I just wanted to clear that up just so um, to sort of help people not put me on this um, spiritual, enlightened, bloody guru uh, pedestal because I'm not that. I'm definitely not that. I'm just a 20-year-old dude in his bedroom um, recording this podcast. <laughs> but yeah, so this episode is going to be about some um, spiritual and mental health foundation, foundational uh, concepts, ideas, um, and practices that have really helped me lay down a good foundation. Um, and yeah, so any, um, any of these concepts I talk about on this entire podcast or practices I give, um, are going to be ones that I have, that I use, um, in my life and that have helped me. So I'm not going to be talking about stuff I don't have experience with generally unless I'm getting really conceptual um but generally the stuff I've talked about I have experienced for myself and used used as a tool or tools for my development so the first one I've got here is um equality everyone here on planet earth and potential life forms everywhere else is completely equal uh, fundamentally physically Spiritually, mentally, emotionally, everything. Um, everybody is completely equal to you. You're no better than anyone else and you're no worse than anyone else. Besides all of your insecurities and all of your, um, your I guess, ego inflations, um, you're no different. You're no different, but you're also really, really different from everyone else, but you are no different in terms of better or worse than anyone else. Um, and everyone knows this, but we all get caught up in um, egotistical bullshit, whether it's putting yourself below other people or putting other people below you, which both I'm, I've been guilty of my entire life. And I, it's an ongoing process of working on that and catching myself in those moments. Um, but yeah, you're... 
race, obviously, you are completely equal to other people that are a different race to you. Um, gender, again, you are com- male and female are completely equal, but the way that society has been founded, males have definitely dominated and um, females have been oppressed for this entire time and still are, which fucking sucks. Um, and there's still a lot of conditioned sexism and racism and judgment within all of us that um, prevents us from truly treating everyone equally. Um, But again, that is just another ongoing process of going into yourself and recognising, just firstly having self-awareness within your mind, within yourself and being able to notice when you are projecting a judgement or... um, something like you were projecting onto another person or making an assumption based on appearance or race or gender or beliefs or anything like that. Um, Beliefs also. Someone who has a different belief system or worldview than you is not better or worse than you at all. Um, Religious people, this whole religion versus atheism thing is ridiculous. Um... It's, it's just an ongoing battle that's never going to be won. You, like, it's just like any time there are two opposing sides and there's just been this ongoing egotistical, I'm right, you're wrong battle. Um, they are both doing the same thing. They say the same things about each other. There's both untruth and truth within each side. and But most of the time, both sides are too dogmatic and too... Um, blinded by like their beliefs and um, their egos to see that um, they're both the same, they're both talking about the same thing, just from different subjective um, angles. And perceptions um, is another one. The way that you perceive the world versus a top scientist or an academic or... um, someone with a master's in psychology or um, a homeless man on the street or the 14-year-old kid that's serving you at the server. All of your perceptions and all of these perceptions, all of my perceptions, everyone's perceptions are equal. Um, There's no better or worse, but I guess there can be, in terms of accuracy... Not better or worse, but there can be perceptions that um, the majority of us can agree on that are more accurate to what is going on, but still fundamentally we don't actually, we have no ground for stating truth um, because how do we, we can't prove 100% anything that we say or experience ever. Um, but that's why we just go with, uh, the way that we talk about truth and the way we feel about it because it feels real and that's more important than just saying, well, technically that you can't prove that. <laughs> but that still has to be recognised. Um, and appearance beyond race and gender and stuff like that. People that wear different clothes to you, um, say some dudes wearing like a, a G-unit flat cap and, like, a race car shirt and some 
long khaki shorts and long white socks and skater vans. <laughs> That's like a whole mix up. That person is not better or worse than you when you're wearing um, whatever clothes that you end, you end up wearing. Um, people that have dreadlocks are no better or worse than you. People that have orange hair are no better or worse. Curly hair, anything, any kind of appearance, any type of person that you see that is different from you or that is similar to you is completely equal and even to you. There's no ifs or buts or anything like that. This is just fundamental. Um, and it's blatantly obvious, but we all get just caught up thinking and assuming um, stuff that's completely false about ourselves and other people. Um, yeah, I think that's about it for equality. Let's move on to judgment because judgment is um, still related to equality. Um, judgment can also be like, I guess, making an assumption about something or say you will assume something and then you'll assume something about someone or something and then you attach to that and then because it, you experience it within yourself, you take that as truth. And then you proceed to judge someone negatively or positively based on your assumption. That's where a lot of people, that's where everyone, no one excluded from this, everyone goes wrong when they do this. Because, um, yeah, it's just not assuming something about someone, firstly, is setting yourself up for failure because that's just making a perception and assumption. Um, and then judging on top of that is um what ground are you judging from your ground your, your ground is a um is an assumption which is just a made up belief um yeah judging other people uh is something that we do every single day um and that really ties into equality um working on your the way that you project your judgment onto other people and put them below you or put them above you um, it's really important to work on that because that's really going to help with self-worth and how much you feel worthy within yourself. Um, and if you have good self-worth, if you know that you're not worth anything and worth everything at the same time, then you don't need to search for validation and worth in other people or things or like material possessions in experiences in being able to say that you've done this and you've, you've, been here or you've done this many things and that whole obsession with numbers etc um so yeah judging people in any situation like actually fundamentally has no ground morally we make judgments together against people that do heinous shit but i've still got to say fundamentally that has no ground because morals aren't even aren't actually real there's still um morals are still made up but um they are they're a type of order that keeps um that is necessary for us to survive because if we don't didn't have morals and we did everything we wanted to do with no regard for consequence then we'd probably all be dead and i wouldn't be making this podcast there would be no people or animals or anything. <laughs> the world would be fucked. So assumptions are unnecessary. Ah, sorry. Assumptions are morals are definitely one hundred percent necessary. But 
it's still important to see that meta perspective um, in everything and, re- and just so that you don't get caught up in your morals because we all attach to our morals and um, we suffer for it when we do. Um, let's move on to self-judgment, which is in still in the same category of judgment. Judging yourself, so judging a thought, you might experience a thought and you don't like it and you judge it negatively and then you start suffering. Um, what would be an alternate to that? I guess it would just be negative thought. Explore it without judgment, without labeling it as good or bad. Um, and often that reveals how um, this thought is kind of like a, um, I guess a signal or a sign for something that m- that might be affecting you deeper or something that you might be letting affect you or something that you might be giving your attention to that is negatively affecting you in the background. Um, self-judgment is a main cause of social anxiety. Um, you're going to public... When I say you, I'm, I mean everyone. I mean myself too. I think it's just easier to say you or I'll just I'll try to say we. When we go into public um, and because, yeah, I don't, I don't want to make this seem like I'm, I'm excluded from all of this just because I'm talking about it. No, I'm, I'm completely wrapped up in it with everybody else. Um, yeah, I'll try to say we as much as I can. <laughs> um, when we go into public and we're wearing something that we like, but something that we fear the judgment of other people. And then so we go into public, walk around, and we might start getting a bit sweaty, you know, sweaty armpits, tickly armpits, little rumble in your belly or the butterflies or something. You start getting a bit hot, start looking around at other people, start trying to see if they're looking at you, all that sort of rational stuff. And then, and then comes the judgment um, but where does it come from? It comes from you. It doesn't come from other people because, well, it comes from us, um, ourselves. Because usually if we're walking around judging ourselves on what we're wearing, socially anxious, we're not walking up to people and going, hey, mate, what do you think about what I'm wearing? <laughs> um, yeah, self-judgment is a really big cause, a major cause for um, social anxiety and anxiety in general, um, even just anxiety around events happening, like a future event coming up that you've never been to or a task coming up that you've never done. You judge yourself and you put yourself down and go, no, I can't do that. You make a judgment. I can't do that. I've never done it before. And then you set yourself up for failure. Um, in social settings, often we will, it'll be perceived by the self, by the person as exterior judgment from other people, but it's not. It's the person making making it up in their head because, again, if, if we're too anxious to wear what we want to wear or be who we want to be in public without judging ourselves or worrying about what other people are thinking, then we're not actually getting any sort of truthful understanding of who is and who isn't judging us. Um, it's literally, it's like 90% of the time, probably even more that 
we are judging ourselves in those situations from other people's perspectives. It's a really big one. If we're walking around town and feeling judged by other people, it's primarily going to be us that's judging ourselves. Um, yeah, I think that's about it for judgment. Um, mental health. This one's <laughs> massive. This determines your entire perception of reality and how you see yourself, which is reality, and how you see other people, which is reality, and how you see other things and events and situations and emotions, thoughts, memories, the whole lot, the whole nine yards, everything, every single possible thing ever, every possibility, everything that hasn't even existed in all these hypothetical situations that we all make up about nothing. That is all related to mental health because the health of your mind determines your outlook and your perception. If you have an unhealthy mind, when we have unhealthy minds, we will look out onto the world and look for negativity. That will, We will attract negativity because that's what happens. Negativity attracts negativity or breeds it. Same with positivity. Um, so say, for example, if I get out of bed and I stub my toe on the corner of my bed and I go, ah, fuck, that sucked, ow. Then I walk out the door and then stub my toe, walking inside, drop my phone on the, on the ground. It doesn't smash, but I still drop it on the ground. And then I go into the kitchen, go and grab a glass and fill it up with water and then have to wait for, because in Australia it's really bloody hot here in summer. So if I could go to the tap and then wait for the water to come out, and it's warm, all those things for a lot of people and some of those things for myself previously would have been and have been and are really bad things to happen to people. Um, if you, if those things sound like things that would make you go, oh, fuck, this sucks or, oh, this is such a bad day. What a, what a bad day to start off. What a bad way to start off this day. Like, this day is just going to be shit now. This has ruined my day. Like, all that stuff. If you let yourself um, make up these stories about these events that are happening like that, then you're going to have a really shit day. You're going to have potentially a really shit life if that's the outlook that um, is primarily, if that's the primary perception that, is being had of what's going on around you and what's going on within you, within all of us. Um, your mental health is incorporated within your worldview. Your worldview, say like religious, religious or theistic, atheistic or non-religious, spiritual, new age, um, even like nihilist, pessimist, optimist, all these different variations of worldviews will also wrap up within they're also entangled with your mental health and this fundamentally and ultimately creates your um, entire the entire way that you perceive what's going on around you within yourself your entire perception um, if your mental health is good and you're happy all the time and you're um, for whatever reasons, maybe you, you've got practices put in place or you're disciplined with um, your addictions or um, you help people all the time and you get a lot of fun or you, you're lucky enough to be able to 
have a passion or find a purpose and work through it and work on it. Um, your perception of the world is going to be brighter and filled with more love and more colourful and more vibrant than, say, someone who um, who perceives little little minor events like I just listed before, little potential frustrating events um, as negative things. The person with obviously the good, the healthier, more healthy mental state versus the one with the unhealthy mental state, it's quite obvious who's going to be more happy um, short term and long, and long term. Um, but it's it's not mental health isn't something that you can just bang switch from good to bad instantly. But it is something that you can work on by yourself without any exterior help at all. Um, no matter what condition you're in, what trauma you've experienced, what level of trauma, um, you can work on it. You can't cure it by yourself. Um, some people have it in extreme cases, but. Again, that's extreme cases. Um, but you can make change yourself by yourself with nothing else but yourself and your thoughts and your emotions because, again, that's literally what determines your mental health, your mental state. The way that you perceive events that happen to you and stuff. Uh, childhood trauma and stuff is a different story because... Oh, oh sorry, I was just stretching. Um, we're a lot less aware in terms of what happens within us, I guess. Um, so that like if, and we're also very vulnerable and we're it's just sponges, like we just take everything in, even if we can't conceptually understand or um, I guess see what's happening to us, we'll feel it. It's like babies. doesn't matter what age or how young a kid is or a baby is. Um it still feels what's going on around it and what's happening to it. Um, so, yeah, that's why childhood trauma is such a big um, and prominent problem for all of us because um, we don't have a choice in whether or not we get traumatised or not. Um, we perceive these events as really, really bad or really, really scary or sad or something and then to protect itself, the ego, which I'll get into later on, um, locks that up and has that on such a nasty pedestal, which is like a lot of the time it's physical suffering or like really, really intense, um, really intense situations. So it's like there's no blame there. There's no, there's no saying that this is just made up bullshit. No, it's so intense that it triggers this thing within the person to protect itself to try to protect itself from that ever happening again so it'll lock it up throw away the key and go this can never ever be unboxed because this is dangerous deadly scary sad all the negativity ever um yeah so childhood trauma is i can't, I can't remember how i got on the tangent of childhood trauma but it is um oh I guess I'm I guess I can just start 
keep keep listening or start listening. I don't know if I've already started listening. I guess I have <laughs> different disorders within mental health. I'm not I'm not going to label them as conditions, but disorders, um, I think are actually a good word because if you're suffering mentally, then there is a disorder. There is a disharmony. There's a lack of order within your mind or within your heart or body. A lot of, like, so much mental suffering is even just physical-based to do with, and then physical suffering a lot of the time is mental-based as well. So there's a very, very big, massive bridge that connects the mind and the body and the spirit all together. And that bridge literally just is the the true self or the true being behind everything. Um, anxiety. Let's go into a little bit about what anxiety. Anxiety is from my experience and my perception of it. Again, this is all just based off my experiences and my research and my study. Um, I've studied a lot and done a lot of a lot of time. Um, inquiring about it um and observing it within myself and other people and a lot of other people that I've spoke to have this same uh, perception of it and it generally seems to be the perception of people who are are somewhat spiritual but mainly just self-aware to a degree where they can take responsibility for the suffering they experience own it and work on it themselves not people that are wrapped up in it and blame it on on other people or just don't even know that they have it or have just been told their whole lives it's the condition it's like something you need to get treated by professional doctors and medication and stuff like that so um there definitely will be people that hear this and, and disagree with it with me as would anyone with anything because we all are so different and our perception and experiences is so vastly different and similar at the same time that um, we're not going to agree or disagree on everything. But yeah, the way I see it, anxiety is it'll either start as a thought or a response in the body and if it's a thought, it'll it's only going to be about what may potentially happen to the person in the future. That's it. That's that's what the thoughts, that's what the anxious thoughts are fundamentally. That's the equation. That's the, that's it. If it's a feeling in the body, a lot of the time it's triggered from, a lot of the time it's from trauma. So traumatic, traumatic event will happen the person will work themselves up a lot within that traumatic event. Um, the event will be so intense that it will cause that person to, um, it will traumatise that person. And then when a similar thing that the ego feels, when an event that the ego deems as similar to that traumatic event is occurring or potentially may occur, then it will start reacting with that fear response that fight or flight response and then that will either be a thought or a physical feeling um within the body or the mind 
and the thoughts is what I focus on more. Um, generally just because that's what my anxiety has been. Um, and my social anxiety, when I'm anxious in social situations, it's not social anxiety and anxiety. It's just anxiety. Um, there's no difference between them because fundamentally it's the same thing. If you're experiencing social anxiety, then you are worrying about what people may potentially be thinking of you, which is still not being present right there in the moment. Um, anxiety is all future-based. And back when we were living in the wild um, and open for predators to come and hunt us and prey on us and kill us potentially then um this fear response is definitely necessary because it was like bang pupils dilate you let more light in so you can see more um and you're alert and but now that we have so much free time we think so much like so ridiculously much like way too much about nothing about ourselves so when that response switches on um, generally it's it's going to trigger thoughts that are just negative about what may potentially happen to the person the I guess the primal part of the ego or the self thinks that yeah the ego just still determines this potential thing which literally for me would just be I don't know an event coming up <laughs> like a friend's birthday or something and then the the ego would perceive that as a potential threat or potential for myself or itself to be perceived as weak or lesser than other people and then to try to protect itself it would say don't go there bad things will happen in the form of oh no what if what if they don't like me or what if um what if I'm, I don't know anyone there and I'm just like alone and people just look at me and think I'm weird or whatever and you'll notice with anxiety and especially the thoughts of anxiety it's just going to be a what if it's just going to be what if what if this what if that um and the what ifs are just one potential possibility that you've made up that you've controlled and completely made up about this completely, completely unpredictable, uncertain future. Um, and therefore, it's never going to happen that way. And we all know this. We've all experienced this. I used to play AFL when I was a kid. And I didn't realise, but it was anxiety that would... Um, when I would give in to my anxiety, I really wouldn't want to go to football training because... Um, I was just too anxious to be around the people. Well, I thought I was, but when I got there, I fucking had a blast. <laughs> it was classic. That's just like, that's just how it is for so many people. It just sucks that people don't know um, that a lot of the time anxiety is just completely, it's a really good example of how suffering, mental suffering can be self-inflicted. Um, I'm going to go out on a whim here and say it, it's all self-inflicted. 
but um, I'll explain that in a later video because I can fully understand how people will take that the wrong way. And um, that's just a very big topic. There's a lot of explaining to do and I've got um, more really important topics to talk about in this, did I say video, in this podcast. <laughs> Let's leave it there for anxiety. I'll do... I'll do a lot more content on anxiety in the future. Trauma, I've talked about that. Depression. Depression's a hard one because personally I haven't experienced it very much. Like I've had one week after a very, 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 very big, big weekend where I was I, lit, I was depressed for the whole week. I was writing about depression um, and lit, like self-diagnosing myself through that process because I just... Anytime I would do anything, it would be for about five minutes and then I would just lose interest and I'd lose motivation. I'd go, I, don't, I fucking hate this. I don't want to do this. Um, I just want to fucking lay in bed. And this was when I was like really, my spiritual discipline and everything was peaking at this point. Um, and so it's really cool because I had this separation from it and because it was brought on by having a very, very big weekend in it very large lacking serotonin so it was physical it wasn't a pre I wasn't predisposed by it uh, to it or it wasn't a traumatic event that has caused me to that caused me to so um it was purely just yeah from this lack of serotonin um which was blatantly obvious but at the same time the symptoms were still exactly just symptoms of depression complete lack of motivation um my worldview was more negative um i was harder on myself and yeah just didn't just felt yeah just felt great felt like shit felt uncomfortable and shitty and just tired and just like just felt like not me because at that time i was like like i was talking before in the last episode that was my peak happiness of like just general sober reality of yeah um so it's really interesting being depressed in that and um what made it what made it really um good was my view on suffering i i don't suffer and then go this fucking sucks i hate this i want to stop suffering obviously i don't want to suffer but when i am suffering i know i will grow from it and I try to go for, try to see the lesson in everything, um, because that's what really perpetuates growth. Um, but yeah, like I would, I would just try to do things. I try to watch videos and even just making my lunch. Like I put that off for hours, and I got really hungry. Then I started feeling sick, <laughs> which just made it worse. And what, what helps me get a really good grip on it was. Um, going up to this tree up and this is, I don't know if I've talked about it in the last episode, but going up to this tree in my estate and meditating for like an hour or so to, um, tools album, um, fear inoculum. Oh, I think that's what it's called. The latest album anyway. And it got to the point where I would open my eyes after a period of time and then just look around and then tears would just come out. And then I would go, Holy shit. I am so happy. Oh my God. It was awesome. It was so cool. And then I felt, um, I felt just back to normal. I felt really euphoric and really fucking happy and humbled and grateful. 
and it was really really cool but that and then that that lasted for for a few hours and then slowly wore off and then the next day i woke up feeling feeling better but that was on the worst day that i did that because it was like very manageable throughout but um depression the main things i understand about it are the lack of motivation um and how that causes people to stay inside or stay in a comfy place um because they have so much they feel so negative they need something to um some positivity so that's why a lot of people will um just crave netflix and sitting in in bed um or rubbed up in bed because i guess that's a chance for the true self to support the ego that is suffering support that child within all of us that's suffering um but drowning the self in pleasure is going to um doesn't actually help but the reason people crave pleasure when when anytime they feel like shit even if they're not depressed if they're anxious it's so that they can have some form of positivity because pleasure feels good it tastes good it looks good smells good sounds good it feels like it's good but in the next point i'll get into um pleasure because that's a really big thing um i'll talk more about depression in a later episode as well um i just haven't been thinking about it recently so i um i'm kind of having a blank on depression but yeah definitely i will do more content on depression because it is such a big issue that so many people face um anger there's so many different um variations of an unhealthy mind and i'm, I'm only just gonna live anger's gonna be the last one at least so i can talk about other stuff um anger again i haven't really thought about it in ages in this book i'm writing um i had a chapter on like all these disorders and um experiences of negative mental health that i just talked about um each one of those was a chapter and I haven't looked at that in oh, like six months or more. So um don't have any fresh information on it. But anger is usually fear-based. So a person will experience a traumatic event and then it's, it's used as a protection, um, as a defense mechanism when... The ego or person will feel threatened and in order to protect itself, it will, um, it's like a frill neck lizard. I think they use that when they, their necks, that sort of fan pops out. That's either a defense or a mating thing. Now I'm doubting it, but <laughs> it's like when an animal, like dogs get their heckles up and animals like get up and they try to make themselves look bigger. It's like, oh, don't fuck with me. <laughs> that's what anger is. It's um, there's someone deep inside that's like, that's really, really suffering. And it's trying to protect itself because it, it deems whatever is happening to it as an attack on it and a threat to its identity, which ego is all just pure identity. So, Therefore, it's an attack on its existence. Um, not physically, but on the ego, that is an attack. It will perceive it as an attack on its existence. And 
obviously if something is threatened and it's life or death, it perceives it as life or death, then it's going to try pull out all the stops to save itself. So anger is one of those defense mechanisms where it's like, no, don't attack me. <laughs> um, yeah, anger's like, um, it's a trauma response. It's a response from someone that's suffering deeply from trauma. Um, I'm definitely having a blank here. <laughs> the only preparation I did for this was just write down these topics and then a few questions to do with them. I didn't actually, um, didn't actually take time to study them a bit before, but that's right. All of these, I, I want to have this podcast, podcast laid out so I can have deep, um, long in-depth conversations and discussions and talks about each and every single one of these disorders. Um, let's move on to pleasure. What is it? It's, um, it's something to stimulate our senses to release dopamine so that we can feel good. Um, but it's not good for you. This release of dopamine, um, you can use it in moderation but um, moderation is vastly less than how we use pleasure today. Like we're so pleasure-driven um, and addicted. Work. We crave it so fucking bad. We're so addicted to it. Um, and then all these like sub-addictions stem from it to all these actual things that give us pleasure. But fundamentally, we're, we're just looking for love and worth and connection but we, we're not going to find it in going on to facebook and seeing a notification and going "Ooh, i got a little thing to check that's what we love with phones we just love checking our things we love owning stuff and checking it and going "Ooh, i'm going to check this now i'm going to check this out see if i've got a notification oh i got a notification okay cool um when all it'll be is like someone tagging you in something that's like it might be funny, but that's just pleasure. Um, I'm not saying don't tag people or don't don't enjoy when someone tags you in something because what happens when someone tags you in something is they, they think of you and out of it's a love response, it's out of love, they think of you and they go, oh, this person would really enjoy this. Um, because you would share that same sense of humor or whatever it is maybe it's a sadder video and you share some similarities there share the empathy empathy together um yeah pleasures pleasure is video games it's um it's eating sweet food it's drinking sweet drinks it's the common theme with pleasure is sweetness sugary sugary sweet sweet sweetness that's um look at sugar is it good for you Yes. What about in the amount that we eat it every day? Fuck no. Fuck no. Very bad. <laughs> um, sugar's in everything. And that really doesn't help us if we want to work on our addiction to pleasure and sugar. Um, yeah, pleasure is, pleasure is masturbation. Masturbation's not necessary. Porn's not necessary. 
sex all the time. It's not necessary. Um, sex is a harder one to um, to view with just pleasure because there's such a deep connection there or potential for it. And that's different because you can have spiritual sex and spiritual sexual um, like experiences with people. And it's fucking awesome. But I'm like, just having sex all the time just to have sex is like, there's definitely a hole there that um, this person is trying to fill with it. Um, what else is there? Uh, just watching mindless uh, TV shows and shows and movies on Netflix and whatever whatever other streaming services or TV that you use. Scrolling through your phone. Um, we do it so... You'll notice that you'll start off with as a teenager or a kid or whatever age you start off watching content and consuming content, you start off with a good relationship with it and look at where you are now. Look at where we all are now with it. Um, Unless we're consciously working on it, but if we're not, man, the amount of time we spend on a device craving pleasure and drowning ourselves in pleasure is ridiculous. It's a complete waste of time. Um... It does give people a sense of support, but again, that's not support that is long-term and healthy. It's this kind of, it's only support because you feel, I guess it can help with feeling with you feeling comfortable and safe and that's good, but um, if you're not uncomfortable, you can be uncomfortable in a healthy way. And this is um, to do with boundaries. And so if you feel unsafe in a situation, say, walking down an alleyway late at night and then you see someone turn down the same alleyway as you, for me personally, it's completely justified for anyone feeling unsafe in that situation. Just because of how many fucking times you hear stories of that ending horrifically. Um, but if, say, for example, someone is um, going to an event with friends and it's might be a couple of couple of people that they don't know and they're feeling, like, pretty uncomfortable, it's, it's definitely justified. All feelings are justified and just and equal, but um, I wouldn't say go home and... Um, like, if this person is actually well enough to to like usually like we say when you're feeling anxious about something you go to it and if you push through it you get there and you're like oh I ended up having a sick time and it like you might have to warm up to it and stuff but I'm not talking about someone who is too anxious to leave the house even but um yeah I would say in that situation go and push yourself through that uncomfort because that's gonna allow your mind to realize that there's no threat there and that's not bad um yeah pleasure leads to um pleasure leads to addictions mainly like holy shit um we're all so addicted to heaps of different types of pleasure for me personally it's it's been it was content when i was a young teenager and then um as i got out of house high school i just stopped watching shows and stuff because i was just wasting my time 
And once I started my spiritual journey, it the desire like just dissolved itself. I didn't didn't really consciously go, oh no, fuck, what am I doing? I've got to stop watching this and play, play guitar or something. Like it kind of naturally fell away because my life was shifting away from that even without me knowing. Um, and then I've had a sugar addiction my whole life, um, which is, um, which would mainly come in the form of biscuits. And for those of you who don't know, which was, I was one of, I didn't know, I didn't know it until um, 2019, I think, that biscuits are loaded full of sugar and it makes so much sense. <laughs> But I associated sugar with like lollies, like really intensely sweet stuff and fizzy drink and juice. But yeah, in, in like cookies and brownies and cakes and scones and pancakes, pikelets, cupcakes, donuts, all that stuff. Loads of sugar. But they kind of, to me, I perceived them as more sort of savory snacks than sweet snacks. But um, all it takes is looking on the on the back of the of whatever you're eating and it will sh- tell you how much sugar it is in it and you'll go holy shit this is ridiculous i've already eaten almost probably double my daily sugar intake <laughs> which i used to do every single day i'd wake up have a bowl of sweet nutrigrain or um or crunching up cornflakes or cornflakes and then put a shit ton of sugar in them or wheat bix and then put sugar on it or rice bowls and put honey in it or sugar um but I guess if it's real honey, then that's that's not bad because honey is good for you. But people, I don't think everyone's just going to be eating like a whole thing of honey every day. But yeah, sugar's a massive one. And just sweet, like yummy tasting things we just get wrapped up into. Like alcohol is so deadly because you can get this sweetest, most fizzy, yummy, colourful drink. And it has the alcohol within it and people a lot of the time drink for the effects of alcohol and then they get addicted and then they start craving their drink, not even the effect of alcohol. And then often those people have unchecked trauma and a lot of issues that may be projected out and surface violently or slowly while they're drunk or in whatever other substance. And then you know where that leads. Um... So all of this stuff is just related and I want to help try, I want to try and relay some of the connections between mental health and the, the different aspects of mental health and the different disorders that we experience and how they're related and stuff. And you could probably hopefully already pick up a couple in this if I've explained it um, in a way that's that's perceivable. Um, but yeah, pleasure is bad. Joy, happiness, love is good. We, why do we want pleasure? Well, you got to look at the nature of desire, what we actually, what every single desire, um, what the intention is behind it and fundamentally what we truly desire, which is what all desires stem from and that's genuine connection, genuine happiness and inner peace within ourselves and happiness. But you can't be happy in all moments, but you can be peaceful in, you can be peaceful in all moments, but that that's like um heavy daily practice every single day for years which is doable for a lot of people like you can do that 
for some, that's not very realistic because of their circumstances, but then others more realistic because of their circumstances. Um, but yeah, so we're, we're all looking for love and connection and unity and harmony and peace in the wrong things. You're not going to find love in um, meaningless sex with heaps of women. Your ego's going to love it. Your dick's going to love it. <laughs> um, but that's not going to lead anywhere healthy, is it? You might lend yourself a relationship out of it, but um, and hopefully you do so you can stop doing that. <laughs> um, but same with video games. It's not gonna. It's not gonna give you genuine peace, genuine happiness, and genuine joy and love in all moments. Because when you start cutting the pleasure, you start deriving happiness from yourself, not from external things. It's a really big thing. We always search outside of ourselves for everything, for our answers, for our happiness, for problems. People, we always look for problems everywhere. That's like always perceiving things that aren't actually problems as problems. Hang on. I'm just going to quickly write in another um, key point because this is a massive one. <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah. I'm just going to wrap pleasure up there. I'll do another All of this stuff. I'll potentially do their own episodes on just because they're really good um, foundational concepts and um, practices and just it's really good to understand what they are and how they affect you. Um, let's talk about suffering. What is suffering? In, in the Buddhist philosophy and religion, the Buddha talks about suffering. And um, for me, I perceive it as psychological suffering. And you can perceive it as mental suffering, but um, let's say in Buddhism, the term enlightenment is defined as the end of suffering. And so for, for me, that would mean the end of psychological suffering, um, which is enlightenment. And again, that's not where I'm at. <laughs> I suffer every day just on varying different levels as does everybody else and every other spiritual guru and teacher that's out there. Um, suffering is any, ranges from mild, any sort of discomfort in any situation. doesn't matter who you are, what situation. As If you are not happy and on a scale of negative, neutral to positive, you are neutral and below or below neutral you are suffering suffering is a complete spectrum it doesn't end and it doesn't start it starts when you determine the start or where you determine i guess your smallest value of suffering um but like really horrific childhood or not just childhood traumatic events aren't just suffering and really small, mild, everyday frustrations um, is not the be-all and end-all of suffering. It's a complete spectrum. It's really important to recognise that and that no suffering is more or less valid than other suffering. It all has to be recognised and accepted 
and worked through in order to realize happiness and peace. Um, unless you're happy suffering and potentially projecting it onto other people and all the other consequences that lead with that. But yeah, suffering is, um, a lot of the time it's spoken about suffering is the, the general way that we live because we perceive reality as separate from us and therefore we're going to judge it because it's not me. Um, so I can treat it worse or better than myself, which is if you're treating something better than you treat yourself, then you're suffering because you're not seeing everything as equal. You're putting yourself below whatever you're putting above yourself. Um physical suffering in extreme cases like really extreme people like that there's a rage against machine album um where the cover is this monk just sitting down on fire (laughs) like people can do some really crazy shit like that's just ridiculous that just blows my mind like you can just not pay attention to the body going, um, excuse me, I'm literally disintegrating in fire right now. Um, people walking on hot coals and stuff like that. Even people punching walls, like, ever since, like, all high school, all my childhood and everything, I would never, like, punch anything out of anger to begin with and then never punch anything for fun or, like, hard surfaces because I go, no, that fucking hurts. But now I can do it because I just don't pay attention to the pain. And it's not... It's not really an achievement, but it's, I guess it's a, I can use it as an exercise or a tool for, if I'm actually in physical pain and it can help me not focus on it and think about something else or not think about anything or focus on it and try to heal it myself, stuff like that. But it's not a healthy exercise to be going around punching everything all the time, which I don't do. (laughs) But, um. That's just a very, very, very small example of what these people sort of do. Um, um, but yes, yeah, suffering suffering is really important to understand and to think about and to observe within yourself and other people because um, that's whatever negativity you feel. Um, that is your mental health condition if you want to label it that or your disorder or your disorder's or or your broken leg. <laughs> um, that's what suffering is. Next one is attachment. Now, attachment, I guess in Buddhism, they call it, they label attachment as the root of all suffering because if you attach to anything at all, physically or mentally, and then it goes and you're attached to it, you'll suffer. Um, if you're in a relationship with someone, you're going to be attached to them in some degree, even if you've worked on not being excess, because you can be with someone and not be attached in an excess way, um, and still love them and honest, like often the excess attachment prevents one from loving someone on an even deeper level um, because then you're not looking for your happiness in this person. You're not looking from for love from them. You're just giving love. They give you love back. You 
you're open to receive it. And it's just this symbiotic relationship founded in love, but founded in deep, deep love, even beyond just romantic love, um, which is really cool because attachment is going to, say if you're in a relationship and you're really attached to them and then they get, they break up with you, holy fuck, your world has just gone to shit. Um, now you're left by yourself. And often people take that as an attack or they'll go through stages and, um, um, you'll see different, um, I guess just stages of how this person is dealing with it. Um, I think, I think personally for me, the root of all suffering, of all psychological suffering, is the belief of that I am, that I am a, that I know that I am separate from reality. Um, but I guess, I guess even then, you can still not look at things and derive your sense of self from it, or look at things and still look at yourself and go, "That's me," and that's that's this object beside me and still not be attached. But I don't know. I've got to think about that and inquire about it more because they're both valid. They're both, yeah, they're not going to be fundamental. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be relative and situational, not, yeah, not fundamental. Um, yeah, attachment. If you, like I said at the start, if you're attaching to an assumption and then, bang, reality goes, well, that's not right. Here's what's actually going on. Wipes that assumption clean clean away from you and you're left there attaching to it, then you're going to suffer. Same with an expectation. They're exactly the same thing. If you're attached to... If you're in attachment, I'm going to label attachment as excess attachment, as I'm talking about it here as negative. Um just so I don't have to keep saying excess attachment and over-explaining myself, which I always tend to do. If you're attached to um, a car and you crash it, bang, this fucking sucks. I love that car so much. This really sucks. I'm suffering now. Um, What else is there about attachment? Attachment is usually... um, a big part of someone's life if they're deeply unconscious and lack a level of self-awareness to understand and to see it, see how they suffer when they attach and to learn or not learn to um, attach in different moments. Um, yeah, it's definitely a sign of um, a lack of self-awareness. Um, the next one I've got here is reactions and how we actually have a choice in the way we react to anything. Um, you can test this and you can next time, before I explain it, do this so you don't have to just believe me or you don't have to argue with me, which you can't because, um, this is a podcast and you're listening. You can argue with me in your head. That's fine. (laughs) Um, 
But just so that I'm not saying this and you're just taking it on as truth, which I'm guilty of and I still do with a lot of stuff, especially with spiritual stuff. So it just seems so truthful in all aspects. But again, it's all situational and relative. Um, next time, something something small start with something small you can't just go to a big event and go no i'm not going to be pissed off at this i'm going to be happy no you can't do that with big things when you've never done it before and you're trying to do it out of um potentially the intention potentially might be to disprove me (laughs) um but what you'll find is we say like if you if you knock a cup over and something like the liquid spills and it doesn't ruin anything, it just spills and you have to wipe it up. View that as funny, react to that as if it was someone telling you a joke or just something funny. Don't choose to be pissed off at, at it. Um, you you have a choice and take res- taking responsibility for that is um, part of holistic responsibility and that is taking responsibility for as as much stuff as you can that revolves around you that comes out of you and that's that happens within you um so um for myself i started viewing anything i possibly could that i would previously view negative as not as negative not as scary not as bad not as shit or something that is pissing me off nothing can ever piss you off ever or um or yeah that's like the biggest one people just being pissed choosing to be pissed off like if someone is driving in australia a lot of the time if someone's driving under the speed limit it's going to be 20 k's 20 k's an hour below the speed limit is what i've found Say if you're going 80 kilometers an hour, person in front's not speeding up past 60 kilometers an hour, and you're going, and you're just road raging in your car by yourself, or you're just swearing at this person and you're judging them and making all these assumptions, these made-up assumptions about these people. Um, that's your choice to sit there and be angry about it. That's completely up to you. Um, what I've been doing recently is just going, all right, this person's doing this speed, sweet, we're cruising. I'm just cruising, sweet. And then I'll just coast it, coast behind them and just chill out and go, all right, this is just a lesson in patience, sweet as, that's cool. I'm completely open to becoming more patient, which is just going to help me in the long run and in the short term because what, hap- what happens when that happens is – if I'm rushing, then I stop rushing. And if I'm stressing, I stop stressing because I become present. I stop focusing on, oh my God, I need to get to work. I'm going to be late or whatever. I go, sweet, I'm just chilling. I can't I can't change this. Um, and then that way I'm not going to react. Not The potential for me to react um, irrationally is just nullified, is void, gone. Um, because I'm choosing to view the choice has been made to view that as a lesson, which lessons for me are positive. Um, and this, that is a catalyst for growth. 
Um, so yeah, this is like a really, really big one. Like this is massive. This is really fucking life changing. This has helped me so ridiculously much. Um, I made a video about it last year sometime because it was, it was right when I was, had this insight came to me and I was like, holy shit. Oh my God. Um, and it's, it's just, you genuinely have a choice in the way that you act. Um, you have to work towards it though. You have to work towards understanding that you have this choice and seeing it and not being wrapped up in automatically choosing whatever you're um, used to choosing. It's about going in and changing your default reactions. Like go into yourself and in situations that you find yourself in um, regularly, analyze them each time you're in it and then analyze your mind, analyze what's happening to you and go, am I choosing to react this way? Why? If so, yes or no. And then why? Why would I be choosing to react this way? And that's um, that's good basic foundational self-inquiry. Inquiring, questioning yourself. That's how you do inner work by yourself without outside help. That's what I mean when I talk about that. So you're in a situation going, I'm suffering. Why? And then just think about possible... Go through possibilities. Go through events. Make connections. See connections. Draw conclusions. Not assumptions. Um, but yeah, I think that's all, all for this one. But yeah, go ahead, do it in every situation that you're that you come across. Um, become conscious of the choice of reaction because it's an unconscious choice. It, it's the thing is, it feels like it's not a choice, but the only reason that is is because it's unconscious. It's part of your subconscious mind, which you can become conscious of. You can spread your awareness further and further and further, and in a sense, what that's what the path of truth is about, and the path of and just the practice of um, self-awareness. Um, because then it becomes a conscious choice, not an unconscious choice. And that's the key thing here is this whole spiritual journey and working on yourself is, even if it's just mental health and you don't care about spirituality, you stigmatize it and you think it's all bullshit, but you're progressing in mental health, which is sick. Um, you are still becoming more conscious of yourself and potentially if you're doing a lot of inner work on yourself, then you are self-inquiring and you are using spiritual practices with your own labels, which is mad. Um, but yeah, I'm going to leave it there for that one. The next one is the ego. This is a really big one. This is going to be another episode just by itself. Um, the ego is the identity that you've always thought yourself to be and everyone's always thought you to be. Um, it's the person, it's the one who feels attacked and threatened and sad and depressed and anxious and stuff like that. It's, it's the label for the body that you're in, not that you are, that you're in. Um, it's essentially just a cluster of ideas about this, person um that ultimately are just nothing but thoughts 
that have been confirmed by other people um, viewing you as separate from them and then confirming that your belief, confirming their belief, which has been conditioned into you because you don't believe that you're a person when you're a baby. You get told that. You get told that you're, oh, I'm more, like, I, hi, <laughs> child, you are this. <laughs> you are a person. So it doesn't happen like that, but it's conditioned into, into us to think that we're just a person and we're this identity, this name, because humans, because we live, we're so involved and um, wrapped up in our egos, we're servants to it, that we label everything. We have to label everything to understand that we can't just feel it. We can't just be with stuff without labeling it. And then because we're so conditioned to do that, it's so hard to, it takes a lot of effort or time or practice to truly be able to sit with stuff and go, not go fan, painting, computer screen, photo, sunglasses, ornament, plate, whatever, and just label everything instead of just sitting there and just, just chill it out. Um, the ego is the, the one who suffers. The ego is the the one that doesn't like itself. It's the 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 person or the entity that is insecure. Um, a lot of the time, it's it's because we're so wrapped up in it, and we have so much free time since evolving and um, since society moving the way it has, with everything being available, at least in first world countries like where I am at the moment. Everything they just being right there when you need it, when you want it, um, which has given us so much free time to think and teach and stuff like that. So that's just been so deeply confirmed that we are just a body and we are just gonna die and done. That's you done. You're out. Um, and so, yeah, with the belief that. Like when you say I and me, um, if you, if this is all new information to you, then you refer to yourself as this body that you're experiencing and this name that you've been given by the parents and society and other labels. And one big thing about egos is because it is just an identity to make itself feel, I guess, more real in a way, it will make up other labels to identify with so it can feel, so it can confirm its reality. Um, and that's why you see a lot of people in the spiritual community that are genuinely are um, helping and making a difference, but even then still getting caught up in labeling themselves as a bodhisattva, sattva, as a light worker, as a spiritual healer, a a mystic or an empath or stuff like this, but um, it's just hard to tell whether there's how much truth there is behind that or if it's just an ego that has found out these things and is choosing to identify as them to sort of for an appearance. Um, that's why in my bios and stuff like that, I don't have any labels about me. I just have links to what I've created um, or maybe insight and insight or something like that. Um, cause personally I have a lot of hobbies and a lot of different passions and a lot of projects and things 
Um, you could call me heaps of bunch, like a whole bunch of shit, but um, that's not me. My Instagram name is the many faces of Morkai because there's so many facets and aspects to this ego, to this person, that there's just no point list trying to list them or identifying with them because I don't feel like that. I don't feel like I'm this or that or this or that. I'm me. I'm just me. And I just love doing these things that I do. Um, then that's just the way I feel. Um, is the ego good or bad? It's a, I've just got questions here to hopefully help clear a bit of the air. Um, because these are all like a lot of the time, if you don't know, if you're not, spirituality is a big, um, what is it? It's like, you only know if you know or something like that. Like, if you know, you know. But if you don't know, you have no idea and potentially stigmatize it because <laughs> it's just so vastly different to the way that we're conditioned to think and be and act. Um, is it good or bad? It's not good or bad. Just like anything, nothing in reality ever is ever good or bad fundamentally. But subjectively, with the ego, when you have an ego, when you believe that you are not your environment, as well as yourself, you categorize every single thing you perceive into good or bad or love or fear. You will love it or you'll fear it. Um, and you'll perceive the world in in duality, in dualities, dualistically. There's always two minimum, two things. Well, fundamentally, if you're fundamentally, if you're viewing reality dualistically, there's only two things, a self and an other, a self-object. Um, yeah. Um, so, the way that I um, was made aware of the ego was um, through this dude called Martin Ball in his book, Being Human, and his lectures on YouTube. Um, and because society is so ego-driven and wrapped up in it, um, a lot of the time by people and by myself as well, it's portrayed as bad because the ego is the one who inflicts suffering on itself and onto other people. Sorry, I've got the bloody burps today. <laughs> um, so that's why it's perceived and viewed as bad and I've written about it in book I'm writing and a major reason I haven't released it yet is because um, I was just shitting on it throughout it, but I didn't. And I had like one or like two little pages on how it can be used as a tool, but I didn't really understand it back then because I was just so caught up in this and just viewing it as bad. But it was good because I learned so much about it and about myself and my ego. Um, but now looking back at it with a more, with an intention of more of a more holistic, um, I want it to be more holistic. So I'm obviously not just going to keep it as fucking bad. I'm going to try it. Um, view it as yeah just as a tool um, because you can use it a good example of how to use it as a tool is if you're someone like me who's like for most of their life lacked um, self-confidence or self-worth you can use that to be confident that's in a sense that's sort of like what where confidence affects I guess is like an ego that feels feels uh, weak, 
um, which feeling weak would just be feeling lesser than or not worthy of something or other people or whatever. Um, and then you can use it to carry yourself into a situation and go, no, fuck it, I'm just going to do it and not not practice what I say and go up to this person and say what I need to say or want to say, stuff like that. You can use it that way. Um, it's the... Another good thing, um, because another good point about it, um, mainly only because reality is built, like uh, society is constructed this way with the belief of everyone and everything being separate and not unified. Um, then you can, and also you can experience, because for me, reality is non-dual. I am not just a person. I'm everything. So... I am the creator of everything. I am God, not a God, not someone up in the in the clouds, but everyone. Um, it's a way for me to experience myself as this person, and then see experience myself from a different lens. So when I'm looking at other people, I'm looking through the lens of Morkai. They're looking back at me through their lenses, but underneath that, there's just one not entity, but one energy viewing itself from all of these different lenses so it can just know what it what it's like to be alive and to be in all of these different possibilities. Um, yeah, it's a really deep topic. The ego is... Um, is the I that we usually refer to as um, our identity... Um, and that identity is founded on just uh, literally just ideas and beliefs, not laws, not, there's no like, um, like fundamental truth about egos being separate. Um, yeah, I'm going to leave it there for that. Um, oh wait, no, no, I've got a couple other ones cause just the. Questions that I've had for a, a long time when I was um, beginning my journey and stuff. And this one is, can it be transcended? This is a tough one because, like, um, I've had experiences where it feels like that, where there's no thoughts at all. There's no thoughts. There's no thinking. There's no talking. There's no nothing like that. There's just complete experience and observation of what is happening and complete love and peace. Like that's, there's nothing else happening. Um, so I guess like in those moments, for me, I'm just going off my personal experience and background and information I have and stuff. Um, in those moments for me, I have felt like it has been to whatever degree transcended. Um, but in my everyday life, I'm still, I still feel like Morkai. But at the same time, in those moments of what feels like no ego, it still feels like me because why would it feel different when I, if I'm everything, that I'm still me? That's the thing that, um, it's one insight I had on that really intense um, experience on LSD with my mate that I talked about last episode. It was one of the key insights. It's like, 
obviously it's not going to feel different. Like giving terms like um, ego death and transcendence and awakening and stuff like that and enlightenment, it seems like you're going to get to a state and go, bang, oh my God, I feel... It's just labeling it creates a perception. As soon as you label anything, you make an assumption and you create a perception about it, which is not true. It's, it can't be true. Um, and so that's where a lot of people go wrong and that's why the, everyone searches for it. Well, not everyone. A lot of people search for it, search for ego transcendence and um, oneness and unity. They search for it outside in, in, in all these things and go to yoga and all these spiritual classes and stuff like that to to search for it and and anyway, I guess I'm still sort of doing that but um I was doing a really really hardcore <laughs> wasn't going out to places but like just so much study and inquiry and then through that process of the awakening um that seeking just like really just like went away a lot not entirely um but um yeah, so I'm not going to say it, like people, people talk from a perspective where it seems like there's no one sort of home, but um, I just, I just don't know how that would like work with the science of it as well, because there's a part of your brain in the default mode network where um, the identity is pretty sure that's the physical location of like where you drive your sense of self so because it's when you have psychedelics a lot of the time your sense of self starts really slipping away I've experienced this a lot of times and what actually happens I've done scans of people in these states and just of deep meditation too the default mode network shuts off to whatever degree sometimes completely and then in that um they have no sense of self they are just everything You've got to just, to experience yourself as everything, for me personally, when I've had these experiences, it was me realising that there's no self there, there's no one there, there's just this, there's just everything. Um, and in a way, you sort of, you have to, you have to detach and disconnect from the ego to see its untruth and to see its unreality um, and to truly connect with everything and realise yourself as everything. Um, so yeah, that's like a, yet to be determined for me personally, can it be transcendent? I'd say in my personal experiences, I've had experiences that have felt like ego transcendence for sure, or ego death or ego dissolution where it's complete observation and no thoughts. And I've had ones where I'm still thinking and talking in my head, but very minor, had different degrees of it, but not in my everyday life and not constantly. Um, if I am not the ego, then who am I? This is going to take it into the next point of non-duality. Non-duality is the belief, the, the philosophy, and for a lot of people, the belief or the experience of or the worldview that um, nothing is separate from anything else. And this is... um. This is like um, a really big part of where I'm coming from with this point of view. Um, 
it's not that I experience it in my everyday life every single day, but for me, I feel it to be true for myself and I value personal experience higher than um, outside evidence and science, stuff like that. Um, but it's the word, the term non-duality, it's a Sanskrit word from India. Um, non, obviously not. And then duality is um, can be translated back to um, two, so not two. So the, the terms of oneness and stuff like that and consciousness in God labeling this experience of true reality and truth, like even me calling it truth, the path to truth. There's no thing there. There's no person there. There's no true self. But we give it these labels. You know, so even then I say it. It's just language is so limiting when talking about um, deep existential topics like this as well because you can't... You have to use so many different words to start carving out a a good, more accurate understanding of it. And you have to, you have to use big words too because more accurate <laughs> um but it's an experience and obviously you can't just write out an experience um start to finish like really detailed and have it be really easy to read and understand of what actually happened no you can't do that um but yeah it's it's not two it's not it's not that there's one thing here um because there's no thing here essentially we just perceive all this stuff. Um, but yeah, it that's what like the Buddhist philosophy is as well, non-duality. And Taoism, that's a non-dual based religion and philosophy. Um, oh, there's one other one I can't remember. Christianity was founded on their version of non-duality as well. Um, it's everywhere and it's, for me, it's, it's just, it's just it because I've experienced it a lot of times and conceptually, not even just like truthfully or like experientially, like just conceptually, it makes so much sense. And then having experiences to back that up, I need no more, no further, um, convincing of it at all. I just forget sometimes what, um, not just being wrapped up in Morkai feels like and that's why I like having experiences of it and going deeper um uh what is it how does it relate to mental health well if you stopped viewing yourself as a person started viewing yourself as everything and everyone and what comes with that is a lot more love and empathy for people and everything and plants and animals and stuff and objects and then you're going to start treating everything, everyone, how you want to be treated. And it's just going to balance it. It balances, it'll balance the scales out. Um, With non-duality also the topic of the ego comes along and so if you can uproot the ego and shine a light on it and really have a look at who's there, then you can see its problems. 
and see that they're not yours. They're not your problems. They're its problems that it's experiencing that you're just caught up in because you've forgotten who you are. You've just forgotten what's going on. Um, so it's like, for me, it's really, really, really um, involved with mental health because um, there are so many practices within non-duality that lead to peace because peace is our true state beneath all this personhood and this um, experience of being separate and being judged and suffering and stuff like that. Um, when you when you give up your identity and you give up your suffering in moments or whenever, you'll fall into great love and great peace. And that is their moments of unity with, with everything. And you feel it. You truly feel it and you recognise it. Um, so for me, that's how it's related. And then why is it important? Well, from my perspective... That's what this podcast is. Um, it's important because that's the way things are. Um, reality is not separate from you. Um, you are God. You have all the power, all the answers, all the love. Everything you want, truly want and desire is within you. Not these surface level little materialistic pleasurable desires that will serve you and make you feel good and no one else, but true love and empathy and true goodness is um it's right there. It's right within all of us. And a lot of the time it's not far, it's not deep. Like a lot of the time it's right there, it's screaming at you in the face in the form of wake up calls or signs, synchronicities, people showing up in your life that you haven't seen or new people showing up and you're like, and then new relationships forming and then potentially bringing you out of old cycles and opening you up to new information and a new worldview and new locations which bring about new culture, new religions, new um, philosophies, new worldviews, stuff like that. Um, yeah, so... I think that's going to be it. Um, I definitely want to touch on non-duality, the ego, um, different health disorders. Um, I feel like they're the most important for me because um, they've helped me make the most, the more of the radical shifts in my perception. Um, but I'm still going to have, like, I think I'll leave the more philosophical, conceptual, really deep existential, compl complex stuff for later on because um, I want to just help. I, I don't want to just jump straight into the deep end and then just do random stuff. I want to have some sort of order where it, like this episode has gone from just understanding basic equality, like men and female are equal, men and Men and women are equal. All races are equal. Gen um, beliefs and appearances. That stuff. Like that's not real. That's not complex. But then going into the ego and what it is and establishing it, a separation within your mind of the space that thoughts arise in 
and the thoughts themselves that aren't you. That voice in your head is the ego, but it's not you. Um, so that's obviously that's going to spark up millions of questions compared to um, the first one. So I want to sort of have this sort of order, but throughout these practices and stuff. And then here and there I'll do, like I'm not saying I'm going to stick to it because like I really love the nitty gritty, really deep existential stuff. That's like my favorite stuff to talk about. Um, mainly because I've got a lot of practices already ongoing with all of this um, easier to understand early on stuff that um, I'll talk about. But yeah, anyway, uh, thanks for listening if you've listened. Um, I'm not sure when I do. I'm not going to promise a schedule yet or anything like that. Like my life's so... So um, I just go through phases with everything and I'm not going to promise time schedule because I can't control the future. Um, Yeah, thanks for listening and I'll catch you guys in the next episode.